0: Well, please keep that open and we'll pray. Loving Father, um, as we hear a challenge from your word this morning, we pray that you would help us to be open and that you would work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, I was at a school athletics carnival a few years ago. Uh, I was sitting there waiting, uh, watching the races and waiting for my child's race to come. And I witnessed one boy from our school come sixth or seventh in a race, second last, basically. And there was a group of his friends who were hanging around in the stand near me and they, they'd been distracted and they didn't see his race. And he came back to the stand and, and one of them said to him, "Oh, how did you go? He said, fourth. <laughs> I thought, you little fibber, you didn't come <laughs> fourth, you came, you came second last. I, I was the only one watching the race and I know, but I didn't say anything. But it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that he chose fourth. Fourth was what he claimed. Fourth is very safe. Fourth is not shameful. Uh, it's not near last. But then um, it's not dangerously good either. Um, you didn't claim first, second or third. You'd be claiming... Uh, you're not really claiming to be all that special if you claim fourth. It's because we're kind of most comfortable in the middle. Well, maybe it's the same with our Christian lives. We don't want to be shamefully terrible Christians. We want to be able to hold our head up. But we don't want to claim too much either because then people might ask too much of us and it might get a little bit too demanding. We're comfortable in the middle. But I think we need to challenge that. Uh, We're talking about the vision and the future of our church today. And the thing is that we can't ask or hope for an increasingly dynamic, encouraging, warm and fruitful church if we aren't willing to grow in Christ ourselves, that is, each of us, we can perhaps manage and strategize ourselves into some sort of organisational growth, marketing plans and whatever else, but that's only going to achieve something superficial and temporary, if that's all there is. What we really want is personal and spiritual growth, so that each of us bears much fruit in the language of Jesus. That is when a church really grows. But are we happiest as Goldilocks Christians? Not too hot, not too cold, not too hard, not too soft, comfortable and happy in the middle. Well, we're turning here to the book of James, a little break from our series on Job, uh, where James lays down a very clear challenge to his readers and he opens his letter, I don't know if you realize that you, you saw this, as an extremely abrupt opening to a letter. Uh, a paragraph that effectively asks, "How much do you want to grow as a Christian? How much do you want God?" is really what this paragraph is asking. You can probably sense that that's a fairly threatening question, where we know we're not supposed to say, "Oh, not much." Um, and there, are th- there probably wouldn't be many here who don't want anything of God. But we also know that if we say, "I want God a great deal," um, Uh, I really, really want to grow as a Christian. Someone might then say, so what are you doing about it? Uh, And we sense that if we try to take a greater hold of God, maybe we'll have to let go of some other things, and that's threatening too. I'm just too busy to have more of God in my life. Or I don't have the time. Or I just don't have the headspace to think about that at the moment because I'm so busy. So there's a challenge here for those whose uh, hearts and heads are all over the place... But there is also a promise and that is that if we focus on the right goal, then God will deliver and we will not look back. That's the clear promise. James's challenge here is double-barreled. He addresses two issues, our trials and our prayers. And the challenges are to welcome our trials for the sake of growth and then to focus our prayers for the sake of wisdom. So those are the two little sections in the paragraph we're looking at here. Verses 1 to 2, the challenge is, welcome our trials for the sake of growth. And James lays it on fairly thick straight away. Verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. This is the first thing he says in his letter, and it's supposed to make us stop and say, what? Uh, Then we read it again, and yes, he is telling us to count our trials as a joy. And not just as a joy, but all joy, pure joy. And not just one trial or two, but trials of many kinds consider pure joy. Now, what kind of masochistic idiots is James telling us to be to take joy out of painful trial? I stub my toe, hooray. Uh, I lose my job, hooray. Um, I get a serious illness, woohoo. I lose a loved one, terrific. Why would I count it all joy to run into suffering? What sort of maniac would think that way? Well, James, of course, is not covering the whole area of suffering in this paragraph. But he says, the sort of maniac who would think that way is a Christian who wants to grow in their faith, would think that way. Verses 3 and 4, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So what do trials do? They prove and they purify our faith. When something good is taken from you, you've got to run somewhere. And if you're a person of faith, you will run to God. Now we're studying Job in church at the moment, as you probably know. And when everything good was taken from Job, where did he run? He ran to God. He found the door closed, which was part of his trial, but he kept beating on that door and his faith was proven and purified in the end. We haven't got to the end of Job yet, I just gave it away, but I think you know. Um, And James holds up Job as an example of faith. If you flick forward uh, a couple of pages to chapter 5, verse 11, he says, As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. Uh, you have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So this is interesting. Job's trials were not inconsistent with God's compassion and mercy and nor are our trials. God uses them to refine our faith, to draw us closer to him and to bless us. But only if we cooperate... Trials are not a guarantee of Christian growth. You can choose not to persevere if you want to. Uh, We can choose not or or to stop beating on God's door and abandon our faith and walk away from Him in a trial if we so choose. And so there's an imperative in verse 4, let perseverance finish its work. In other words, let your trials keep leading you back to God. Keep knocking on God's door. Learn to lean on God over and over again, And you'll find that God took something from you in order to give you something very valuable so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So why would we count it all joy to run into trials? Because then perseverance works something in us that we really want, that is we become whole and complete as a person of God. Now in response to our series on Job somebody uh, sent me an article by Elizabeth Elliot during the week it contained the quote that said this Joy is not the absence of suffering but the presence of God That is a very uncompromising position to take and that is James's challenge to want God so much to value Christian growth and maturity so much that if trials are what it takes to get there we welcome the trials The world thinks that joy is the absence of suffering. The Christian knows that it is the presence of God, which God increases through the perseverance we learn in suffering. Now James starts with this because he's throwing down a challenge. Are we that hardcore that we even welcome trials for the sake of Christian growth? Whatever it takes to grow closer to God, I'm up for that. Do we want to grow in Christ that much? There's much more I could say about suffering. We're not treating it lightly or glibly. But this is how James opens his letter with a bit of a sledgehammer to the side of our heads. Welcome the trials for the sake of growth. The second thing he says, verses 5 to 8, we we need to focus our prayers for the sake of wisdom. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Wisdom is a bit of a unifying theme in James. As in the Old Testament, it had its wisdom literature. Uh, It said that James is like the wisdom book of the New Testament. So as James refers to wisdom here, he's not talking about one aspect of the Christian life among many. Uh, He's talking about the unifying principle of the Christian life. The thing we need to make us mature and whole and not lacking anything, we need wisdom. And the promise is that when we ask God for wisdom, he will give it to us. He is generous. He's not looking for reasons to refuse our requests for Christian growth. Uh, He gives without finding fault. He's just waiting to be asked. So this echoes the teaching of Jesus. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So he's waiting to be asked. But of course, it's not the words that God responds to when we ask, it's the heart. If you ask for something just because you know you're supposed to but in your heart you don't really want it, then God obviously knows that and he doesn't force his gifts on those who don't really want them. And so James goes on to say, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So the believing and the doubting is not, oh, I really believe that God is going to give me what I'm asking for. It's trusting God enough to actually want what we know God wants to give to us. And the doubting is not being sure that you really want what you're asking for. I think that's what James is talking about. Um, Imagine a little wave in the middle of the ocean it blow, it's a wind blows it this way, another wind blows it that way, then a current sucks it another way and it goes wherever it's blown. It can't decide where to go, it's at the mercy of the winds. That is the person who can't decide what they want in life. I want to be a Christian, but I also want a great career and I also want to be popular among all the right people and I also really want to give my kids every opportunity at everything and I also want to be really physically fit And I also really want to be good at Latin dancing and painting and sculpture and football and mountain biking and writing and flower arranging. And I also want a restful, peaceful, quiet life. (laughs) God, please draw near to me. And God says, go away and sort out your heart and then come and ask me again. Why aren't we more mature as Christians? Why don't we embody the wisdom of Christ? Because we don't really, really ask for it because there is instability in our hearts. So James is throwing down this challenge, which is the main thrust of this letter. How much do you really want God? And this uh, inner conflict works itself out in all kinds of ways in our lives, um, including the way that we relate to others. Uh, it's really the main thrust of this book. If you, would have, uh, if you flick forward to chapter 4 of James, we find he says, what, finds, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Uh, You covet, uh, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So you can see in that paragraph how not being settled in what we want affects how we relate to others as well as to God. And then he goes on, and I'll read this because it's worth hearing the challenge. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. So much would be clearer and better in our lives if we just held the right thing at the centre of our hearts. Why won't God come near to me? Because I won't come near to him. Why not? because I can't really decide whether I want more of him in my life. Now, we have a vision for the growth of our church, as we've been talking about, and we know what we would like to see happen. But it involves the personal growth of each one of us, which means we need to ask first, do we really want that? Now, I've been thinking uh, a bit about this lately because I think about how this church is going and whether we are growing towards maturity or just marking time and I've realised how can I lead this church to grow in Christ if I myself am not growing in Christ? How can I expect God to draw near to our church if I'm not earnestly wanting him to draw near to me? Am I asking God that I will grow in him and do I mean it when I ask for it? Am I drawing near to God? And So, what are the things that cause me to doubt whether I really want more of God or and whether I really fear the change that it might bring about in my life? Some things are obvious, some things I I still need God to reveal to me. But these are questions that we should all be asking ourselves as Christian people. Am I just aiming at fourth place as a Christian? Because there are other things that I want as well. Am I a Goldilocks Christian, not too hot, not too cold? Or do I want more of God than that? What are the factors here that pull us towards the comfort of the mediocre middle? What are the spiritual factors that stand in the way of our vision as a church, we might ask? First and perhaps most obviously, life is very comfortable for us here in the mountains. That's not a crime or a sin, of course. But it does seem so genuinely possible to be friends with God and friends with the world as well. Nice house good job, car, sport, family, friends, travel, into the bargain, eternal salvation when it's all over. We can have it all. Why just focus on the one thing? Well, because in the end, he is our best thing and the only thing. Don't wait for trials to make you realise that. And secondly, so many distractions. Um, I was working on this sermon on Friday and an email came in. I subscribed to this news website and I'm not sure whether it's really worth it or not uh, but So I enter all the competitions they send me to try and get my money's worth. Uh, and so far, I'm in the draw to win a weekend for two to Tasmania, some Hugo Boss designer tote bags, a special pearl ring, some fancy Rydell wine glasses, and I can't remember what else I've entered. Now, of course, I don't need any of that stuff. I can't imagine using any of that stuff. You won't see me toting around a Hugo Boss bag <laughs> anytime soon. But I entered the drawers because it was just dangled in front of me, you know, and in in comes the email and I'll I'll enter that. If I don't like it, I'll just sell it on eBay, it's okay. Um, So many distractions and we try to grab all this stuff as it flies past us. We don't want to miss our chance when it comes to get this thing or that thing, fun experiences or nice stuff. And it has the cumulative effect, I think, of turning our hearts into scrambled egg. And we can't focus on anything, especially not God, and we need to clear it all aside so we get a clear line of sight to God and drawing near to him. So there's distractions all around. And thirdly, um, I think many of us have been stuck in the same place in our Christian lives for too long. Long-time Christians who now can't even imagine what growth might look like for us. Now, other people might look at me and they say, well, I know what growth would look like for you, um, In the language of James you can tame your tongue a little bit more or you can uh, uh, start listening to God's word more or humble yourself or start applying yourself to doing the good works that we're called to do. You might be able to see lots of things, ways that I could grow but I can't necessarily see them in myself and you're probably the same. It might be hard to imagine for ourselves what it would look like because we're so used to being the way that we are. And so I think perhaps an obstacle to growth is a lack of Word-inspired imagination which inhibits our desire to grow. The growth of our church has to begin with the growth of its members and we have to ask, do we want that? Enough to welcome trials, enough to really pray for it. Well, the good news is that we are a church uh, and so we have each other and this is what we need to be focused on doing, encouraging one another and spurring one another on And calling each other on compromise and praying for each other and being a community of people who share the common goal of drawing near to Him so we kind of pull each other along on the way. We mustn't aim for fourth place. Uh, We mustn't aim for lukewarm. If we're clear in our desires, there is a promise here that says God will grant them. So that's a challenge, isn't it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father we thank you for this challenge and uh, while we stop short of praying for trials we do pray that when you send them you would help us to run to you and to welcome the perseverance and maturity that we learn through them and we pray that you would help us to pray for wisdom with a strong single-minded desire to have you at the center of our lives And as you work in each of us in this way, please grant the growth of this church for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.